Mic check. Mic check. Mic check, one, two, one, two. Mic check, one, two, one, two. It's the Taste to Consider podcast. Back for another episode. Let's go. Back for another episode. Another week has ended. Another week is about to begin. Mic check. Let's go. Take stick and sit a podcast. I'm your host, Derek Silver. Feels so good to be back. Yes, indeed. This week felt so long. Stay sick and sit up hard, case. Let's go. Say stick and sit up hard, case. Say stick and sit a podcast. Yes. Fighting, we might need counseling, possibly more so. Me sounds to me, frowns will be grounds to leave hounds. I'll be looking for you before you drop a tear. I pray them stop pretending that I ain't him. I ain't them. Them some dumpling. I remember when you start dying, them silver heads and start hiding from your age. I ask why I come. Amazing how time can run away from us. I'm no nun. You're no priest, but I promise, hun, you gon' see a phenomenon. Come with me like it's Ramadan. Say stick and sit a podcast. Yes. Feels so good to be back. Back for another episode. 
Huh, this week seems so damn long, I swear. Mm. But we back for another episode. Another taste. Another taste to consider. Yes. And let me start out with the drink for tonight. Uh, it was actually a recommendation. And something that was already on my list, so made it even better to get it for tonight's show. I am drinking a Suntory whiskey. It's a Japanese whiskey from the house of Suntory whiskey established 1923. 43% alcohol, volume, 86 proof. I bought a fifth of it. It was uh, $40. Um, I liked it. I honestly didn't know what to expect. Um, Seeing that it was a Japanese whiskey, I didn't know what to expect. Um, But I definitely like it. It's, it's, uh, It's real smooth. Real smooth. I'm surprised at how smooth it is. Um, This is what it says on the bottle. A vivid blend of carefully selected Japanese whiskeys. Silky with a subtle, sweet, and spicy finish. It's definitely got a silky taste to it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's definitely smooth. I'm... On glass number three, honestly, um, that's how smooth it is. It's just it's smooth. Um, it's so smooth that it'll probably for people who aren't used to drinking whiskeys or just drinking. Period. It's so smooth, and you can go through a glass pretty quick that it will probably creep up on you later. Um, I'm drinking it out of one of one of my new uh, whiskey glasses that I just got. Um, a nice crystal whiskey glass. You can hear it, the the ice cube clinking up against it. That beautiful sound. <laughs> yeah, but it's real smooth. Um, what I'm smoking on is a Lafleur Dominicana cigar. It goes well with the whiskey. Um, It adds to the smoothness of the whiskey, actually. Cigars, uh, it's it's good. I like this cigar. Um, It doesn't have a strong aftertaste. Um, Got a good pull to it. Um, yeah, man, it is good to be back. Good to be back. Shout out to the U and U network, U A N D U underscore network on Instagram. All of these shows you can find under, um, that umbrella, that page you have the link in the bio of that Instagram page. 
uh, where every podcast under the network is on. Uh, as I stated on the last show, we actually have a new uh, podcast coming that's added to the network, another taste to the network. Uh, Reservation for Three, that podcast will be coming soon. Uh, you can follow them on Instagram, Reservation for Three, as well as Twitter, I believe. Excuse me, burp number one. Um, yeah, so shout out to all those podcasts under the UNU Network. Make sure you uh, go follow UNU Network, U-A-N-D-U underscore network on Instagram and follow each and every podcast that is a part of the network. Uh, once again, um, make sure you like, download, um, listen, and then you can delete the podcast from your phone storage. So download the podcast first, listen to it, and then delete it. It's a simple process that you can do right there on whatever uh, streaming app you're using. Just a tap of a finger to download it, listen to it, and then tap that same icon again, and then it would undownload. It would delete from your phone storage. Make sure you follow A Taste to Consider podcast on Instagram. Also, A Taste to Consider LLC on Instagram. Have the Therapy and Hill shirts up as well as the... um. <coughs> signature men's t-shirts up as well uh right now i have them in black and white uh some new colors will be um added this week coming up so um be on the lookout for that i appreciate everybody who actually um purchase an item from the website i appreciate that um definitely appreciate that um, but I'm feeling kind of off for some reason. I don't know what's what's that about. Well, I've been feeling kind of off, period, uh, ever since yesterday, and that might be because of the full moon that was happening. Um, that we have going on yesterday and or today, depending on where you're located. But let's get into these topics so I can uh, get through this episode. Um, appreciate everybody who listened to the last show. Um, and actually gave me feedback, you know, hit me up and stuff like that. I appreciate that. Um, I felt like that episode was one of my best episodes, if not the best, just uh, based off of the flow of it. Uh, the information in it, topics, all of that. But I I do have a lot of other shows that um, I definitely enjoy doing just based off of the concept, the topic, and how things flow. But last episode, I mean, uh, once that episode was done, I just felt like that episode was just great. <laughs> and I felt like that for uh, a few of the episodes that I have done. Um, it's funny because I don't listen to my podcast. I don't listen to it at all. Um, I cringe at times when I hear my voice. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but 
honestly, I know my podcast is great. Um, that's why it can be frustrating for me at times when uh, I don't check my numbers. I've never checked my numbers for my podcast. Like, I'll, I get numbers. Like, at the end of the year, I get numbers from uh, Spotify and stuff. And that's the only time I see numbers. But I don't know the numbers for each and every one of the streaming services overall and just all the numbers collected. I don't know. And I don't look at the numbers because I don't want to get discouraged um, if if it's not where I want it to be. So I just try to just keep flowing with with the episodes and stuff. Because I'll be honest, it, it's times during the week where I'll be like, man, I just, I'm just i not going to record. Like, fuck this podcast. I'm not going to do it no more. Because um, I, I, talk, I talked about it on the last episode about popularity and stuff and how you know, people afraid to share your stuff if you're not quote unquote popular in other people's eyes or in the mainstream eyes and stuff like that. So it's hard for us podcasters uh, that put out good content and stuff like that to really keep going at times if we aren't getting feedback and stuff like that or if people aren't sharing our stuff and stuff like that. Uh, I try my best to use a non-attachment uh, approach to it you know that's how I try to do a lot of things in my life um, but I'm human and I'll be lying if I said that certain things don't affect me particularly things uh, like this my podcast my blog other things that I've tried to do in reference to me just building myself up um, um, taking risk and fighting through fears and stuff like that so I definitely gotta stop being so hard on myself <laughs> but you know I do definitely appreciate the people who actually listen and people who actually um hit me up and share and stuff like that so and support my my blog and actually you know support uh with me with the apparel and trying to do something different you know because it's difficult for, despite what people may think in in this quote-unquote hustle culture that we live in, it's pretty difficult to step out there and, and do things, you know. But um, R. Kelly, man, damn, that shit has been, like, amping up uh, just within the day or so. Like, within a day or so, like, I started seeing, like, things – uh yesterday which was friday about you know these new uh this new evidence that's about to come out that the prosecutors are going to uh present about his sexual relationship that he had with two teenage boys and stuff like that and i was just like man this this guy you know he went through what he went through when he was younger and stuff, but that just shows you like if you don't if you don't get help, if you don't heal traumas and stuff like that, you will repeat cycles. And it's sad to see that how all this stuff is going down. It's sad that these people had to go through what they went through. These kids at the time had to go through what they went through with R. Kelly. It's sad to see that all these people was enabling R. Kelly. It's sad to see all these, <clears throat> excuse me, all these people were being quiet, you know, 
whether they was in his inner circle or just other people in the industry, was being quiet. And it's sad that R. Kelly had to go through what he had to go through in order to keep pushing this cycle forward. You know, and we can go on and on down the line just based off of family history and stuff. And this this goes to show that these traumas, if they don't get worked on, they'll just you'll just keep repeating these cycles, whether it's individually or you'll pass them on to somebody else, project them on to somebody else or or what. It's just this shit is real. Like everybody goes through something. Everybody has gone through something. And a lot of people are out here repeating cycles, me included. Um, yeah, but it's it's crazy to see all of this stuff. And I'm sure more information will continue to keep coming out as people continue to keep talking and trying to save themselves and stuff. Yeah. Man, Kanye. Kanye. <laughs> Kanye told everybody slavery was a choice. And people are out here slaving over being slaves over this album that was supposed to came out yesterday and still hasn't came out. <laughs> Man. He sold out a whole stadium for the listening party this week. And I looked at, I, I caught a, a, some of it on the live stream that was on the uh, the Apple Music app. And um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great scene, you know, how everything looked, everything was set up. Um, Kanye didn't speak at all. <laughs> he was just in the middle of the field of the stadium just moving around and stuff like that and just, I guess, feeling it. I just, you know, feeling the energy, feeling the moment, whatever. <laughs> but he ain't talking nothing. He previewed a few songs and stuff. Um, he previewed a song that, that got Jay-Z featured on it. That was a big deal. He had his bubble outfit on and, you know, <laughs> it just shows you how powerful that celebrity worship is i mean damn i haven't i haven't really been a big kanye fan i've talked about him a few times on the uh on the show and stuff like that but honestly like i ain't got nothing negative to say about that man kanye like a lot of people can look at it like you know um he did this all for himself or whatever like that like this was all hype and stuff like that. But, man, if you got the genius, that quote-unquote genius, mu musical genius, and if you got the people loving you and stuff, man, what? Just, just celebrate yourself. I, that's the way that I just look at things now. <laughs> I'm just like, because everybody going to have something to say regardless. Everybody. Somebody's going to have something to say, negative, positive, indifferent, whatever. Man, just just do you and be you. Whether he's actually being himself or not, who knows? Only only he knows. But I mean, just just do you. Shit. <laughs> um, later on, after the listening party, they said the album was coming out Friday or whatever. Friday came, the album wasn't coming. 
Then throughout the day, you had Justin LaBoy saying that the album coming, that you got to do some tweaks, it'll be out later today and stuff like that. Then Friday night, <laughs> it was announced that the release date for, for the album, which is titled Donda, which is his mom's name, will be coming out August 6th. So it was like, <laughs> he, hyped, he hyped everybody up, like absorbed everybody's energy. And then just let them down. Now this <laughs> this album ain't coming out. This is like classic Kanye, I guess. <laughs> People don't know what to do with themselves. That's what happens when you're so focused on celebrities' lives and stuff like that, and you ain't you ain't focused on your life. They'll have you going through the motions. Going through the motions. Speaking of another musical genius, another great that's been in the news this week. Um Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre and his wife, of course, have been going through, uh, they are going through through a divorce, and, you know, they trying to work out all that stuff. And the judge announced that um, well, Dr. Dre was ordered by the judge to pay his ex-wife $300,000 in spousal support per month until she either remarries or passes away. And a lot of people was just looking at it like, damn, he got to pay all that, he got to pay all that. But honestly, he winning in this situation because initially she asked for $2 million a month. So... Dr. Dre definitely won in this situation. Yeah, it says she originally asked for uh, $1.9 million monthly. And now she's only going to get a fraction of that. And then, even though she's getting these spousal uh, support payments... They they are still actually going through the process though, where they can come to a lump sum agreement, similar to uh, what happened with Eddie Murphy and his uh, ex-wife Nicole. Um, he ended up paying her a lump sum of a hundred million dollars. Yup, a lump sum of a hundred million dollars. And what's funny? Excuse me about that situation. Excuse me. Eddie Murphy's ex-wife, she ended up losing a lot of that $100 million because she linked up with a guy that she knew from her past. And he stole that money from her. She just straight stole the money from her. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Yeah, so um, 
that's probably what will happen, Dr. Dre. Probably they probably will come to some agreement where he just pays her a lump sum, and just that's it. But in the meantime, she will be getting the, that three hundred thousand um, a month spousal support payment. But then it's like she cried for the the spousal support payment so much, like she can't even really. Being no relationship now because if she do, she she won't get the money. <laughs> She'll lose out on the money. So then that that in turn says, like, what's more important, love or money? And in this case, and on both ends, with her trying to get her being in the divorce situation and asking for the amount of money that she's asking that she was asking for, and now being in a situation where. If you want to keep the money that you are getting, you can't even be in no uh, real relationship. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure we'll hear more news of that later on. Kind of similar to even with Michael Jordan when he got divorced from his wife and he gave her a lump sum payment. So... You know, the world of being a celebrity and and marrying. And it's funny because they actually have a a, a prenup a prenuptial agreement. So yeah, we'll see how all that stuff works out. Um let me move on to movies. TV and movie review. I don't have any TV shows. Uh, well, act, let me scratch that. Let me just let me just run with it. Um, yeah, so I watched the Fear Streets on Netflix. You know, they had three parts. It's supposed to be like scary movies. Um, the movies, the Fear Street movies, were based on R.L. Stein books. Um, overall, I liked all three of the movies. They weren't scary to me. Um, Scurry movies just don't do nothing for me. Well, the ones they make today don't do nothing for me. But overall, the movies were good. And um, all three of them had different different themes to them based off of the, uh, the year that they were set in in the film. Like the first part one was set in the 90s. And it had a similar feel like the screen movies. And the second part was from the uh, the 70s, and it had a feel to it like the um, Chainsaw Massacre movies. And the third one was set back in like the 1600s, and it had more of a feel like of uh, the Exorcism movies or the uh, the Conjuring movies. Those, so they they kind of, even though it was based off of the R.L. Stein books, they in the movies, they put like a feel to it based off of how movie horror movies were presented in those particular decades or those similar settings when it came to years. So I thought they all three of them was good, but I mean, they wasn't scary to me, but the movies overall was good. It had a good little story to it. Um, I also watched Forever Purge. Um, I didn't go to the movies to see that I watched it. <laughs> um, and the Forever Purge was good. Um, 
a, a little spoiler to it. Um, well, I guess it's not a spoiler because they kind of showed it in the uh, previews. But basically, the setting was, um, of course, they did the pur- they had the the purge in the setting of the movie. But the whole movie was actually about after the purge ended and them having it being like a whole bunch of killing after the actual purge. And um, the people who were doing the killing after the purge were a white supremacist group. (laughs) And it was set in Texas. But this white white supremacist group was all around the country. And they coordinated an attack to, to get rid of everybody but themselves. So it was like the rest of America against the white supremacy, the white supremacist group. So pretty much it was kind of like <laughs> actually what's going on today to a degree. But then at the same time, I felt like it was foreshadowing something that could possibly happen in the, you know, in the near future where you have all these white supremacist groups um, out here, and then particularly how they showed their face even more when Trump was in office and stuff like that. And, you know, they just was going after everybody, the Mexicans, uh, Hispanics, all the, the, the Hispanic group. They was going after everybody that wasn't part of the white supremacist group. And it was just, it was just, <laughs> it was an enjoyable movie. Um despite the fact that it was a whole bunch of killing and, you know, it being white supremacist, but, you know, it was it was a movie and I enjoyed it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and I was watching the movie and I'm sitting here, it was a it was a few black people in the movie. And I'm just sitting there, how do black people even live in Texas, man? Because it's it seemed like it's just a totally different type of world down in Texas when it comes to um white folk, white supremacists, and just racism and stuff. I don't understand how black people even live in Texas. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Moving along, where do I want to jump to now on this uh, movie review? So I finally watched the Murray J. Blige documentary, the uh, Murray J. Blige My Life documentary that's on Amazon Prime. And I got to say, man, that documentary was real good. It was good as hell. It was it was inspiring as well because you it's like you kind of knew about Murray and the things that she's gone through and stuff like that. But to hear her actually speak about um, what she went through and when she actually spoke about her mindset during uh, the beginning period of her, you know, uh, being signed and stuff and even her mindset before that and and how, you know, her her childhood played a part in her adulthood and stuff like that, man. The, the movie was inspiring. And it was inspiring because just to see where she's at now and all the things that she went through and the success she had, that's inspiring for that. Also, it was inspiring because a lot of the things she spoke about is a lot of the things that I've spoken about before about myself and a lot of the things that I've gone through mentally. Um, And I thought it was a real good documentary. Um, I've always 
been a fan of Mary J. Blige. I've enjoyed her music. Um, but I totally look at her a different way now. Um, totally look at her a different way. And it was funny because, like, the documentary is titled My Life. So they was focusing on when she was uh, doing her My Life album and how much that meant to her and, you know, how vulnerable she was on that album and stuff. And it had me going back and thinking about, I remember, you know, times when I used to be going through something, uh, when I was, you know, going through depression or feeling sad or feeling lonely and stuff like that. I used to take drives down uh, down to the city in D.C. I would drive around the city, play music, particularly on days like summer nights, uh, spring nights, fall nights, stuff like that, where you could just ride, chill, had the windows open and stuff like that. And I remember used to driving down in the city um, sometimes at night, like late at night, late at night, like uh, past midnight and stuff like that, and just trying to clear my head or get out the house and stuff and I remember particularly playing that song my life like that's a real ass song that song is 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 deep and it just spoke to like a lot of things that people go through and they they touched on that a lot during the um doing the documentary where they uh, interviewed uh, where they had fans on there and even people that she worked with and, and they were talking about how they were all going through the same thing at that time. So it was kind of like that energy clicked up together and they just made this beautiful album based off of that, you know. So, I mean, I got I wrote down some notes just based off of the, um, <laughs> the, the documentary. So I'll go through a couple of those notes just things that just you know uh popped into my head but let me just give a taste of the the my life song it's a good ass song Taste to consider podcast. Except for the man. Yeah. Oh. 
Space Tickets to the Podcast. Taste to consider podcast. Yeah, man, that song. This song is like a. This is a classic song. This is a. I look at this song like it's a masterpiece. It's like art, like the vulnerability in it and how it relates to a lot of people's lives, how it touched a lot of people's lives. That was just the taste of the song. Yeah. But um the documentary, man. Just watching it showed how much of an inspiration she was to to other women. Obvious. Obviously, you know. Excuse me. She talked about a lot in the, um, excuse me, she talked a lot about, you know, not loving herself in a documentary, just like over the years, it's just period. Like even when people were celebrating her and stuff like that, she she didn't love her, she didn't love herself, you know, she couldn't connect with it because she she didn't look at herself the same way that, you know, others were looking at her. She talked about, you know, the times that she wanted to die and stuff. You know, she was being real vulnerable in the, in this documentary. Um, and she she talked about how she was surprised that other people felt the same way as her. You know, other people didn't love themselves. Other people wanted to die. Other people, you know, wasn't happy inside and and. I bet that was a lot for her, you know. She was already going through what she going through inside and, you know, having people, you know, coming up to her and telling her, you know, I'm going through the same thing and stuff. She she probably felt overwhelmed, you know, carrying all of that. But then at the same time, she also talked about, you know, growing up and, you know, seeing and hearing women going through uh, a lot of things and how, she felt like she had to carry other other women's pain. So it definitely makes sense that, you know, um, she made a lot of songs about hurt, pain, and trauma and stuff. Because I talked about this on this podcast. I talked about it on uh, the U&U podcast uh, back back a few years ago and stuff about how it was at one point where Murray got to the point where she was actually happy. She was making happy music and stuff and her fans was like mad about it and some of the fans was abandoning her and stuff like that. Like they didn't even want her to be happy because they they gravitated so much towards this this sad Murray, this pain, this pain that Murray had this trauma and stuff so that's like that's like an energy vampire right there <laughs> they feeding off of feeding off of your energy to make themselves you know feel better or get through you know or to be inspired and stuff like that so yeah uh what else 
this is one of the things that she she mentioned a couple of times that um really was a good thing that I believe in was very inspiring. She talked about how afraid she she always was, how afraid she was with the music and stuff like that with singing. But she said you still have to move through the fear. And I thought that was something that, you know, was was real good to hear her say, you know, because um, just just uh, thinking about myself or whatever and how I let a lot, a lot of times I've had fears and stuff like that. And I would just back off of trying to do something or, you know, say certain things or be myself and stuff. And I would just I just wouldn't do it because I was so afraid. I was worried about what somebody else thought and, and stuff, you know. Um what else? Um, she talked about her relationship with her dad, and it made sense that, you know, um, because of, she didn't real, she didn't go too deep into it, but she talked about how, you know, when her father left or whatever, how sad it made her and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure because of, of that abandonment or whatever, um, that affected her other relationships with men and just being around men, period, and trusting them and stuff like that, and even being in relationships and actually gravitating towards men who are um, who abandoned her emotionally as well as physically and stuff like that. And then even when she talked about how um, she saw a lot of women, even including her mother, being in abusive relationships and stuff, and she wound up being in a an abusive relationship with Casey from Jodeci. So, and that just goes back to the R. Kelly stuff, you know, the trauma. You know, you you going you going through cycles if you don't work work through this stuff. If you don't work on them on healing and stuff like that, you will repeat cycles. You will repeat cycles that you've seen. You know, cycles that other people have gone through that you have been around or been close to. And just how, you know, just like I said, childhood situations, they shape your life, you know, um, for the better and for the worse. Um, she also talked about, you know, substance abuse. She talked about um, how she would cope you know, when she was in pain or when she was afraid or insecure and stuff like that, she would, you know, uh, go drink. She would do coke, you know, to make her feel comfortable, to loosen her up and stuff like that. Um, that's real. That substance abuse is real. And uh, what else? Uh, yeah, she, I talked about how she spoke a lot on how she didn't believe in herself the way others did. You know, she talked about how people were always, you know, uh, believe in her and, you know, bigger up for the things that she's done and stuff like that. But she didn't, she didn't believe the same thing, you know. Uh, she said that she was just very insecure. And a lot of times she was in survival mode. Uh, with a lot of the de decisions she made was based off of her being in survival mode, being afraid, not trusting people around her that she didn't know and stuff. So she always kept a small circle and stuff like that. 
And what else? Yes, she talked about how she never felt happy with her success. Um, she didn't feel success on the outside uh, because she wasn't happy on the inside. And she talked about how, like, like now she's just starting to come to grips with just, you know, feeling more secure in herself. And you can tell that she still holds uh, a lot of, uh, she's still holding on to a lot of pain. Well, I'm not going to say a lot, but you can definitely tell she's still holding on to pain and just by the, the way that she talked and um, how she described certain things. Yeah, and let's just go back. Like, we see all these celebrities and stuff. They got this money and these material possessions and stuff like that, but they not happy. We see it all the time with uh, people who got money and stuff, living recklessly, uh, committing suicide and stuff like that. And she also talked about how when she would get into relationships and when she was in a relationship with KC and stuff, it brought up a lot of stuff from her past. It triggered a lot of things. So, and I've talked about that plenty of times before about how, you know, it's always convenient for us when we're in relationships or we just, whether it's an intimate relationship or a friendship or any any type of relationship, because life is about, I'll say this, over and over again. Life is about relationships. Whether it's a relationship with yourself, God, whoever, intimate, platonic, whatever. You, every relationship is a mirror of yourself. So those times where you you get angry, sad, triggered, whatever, is, is pulling up something that you, that you need to work on or things are still embedded in you that you need to heal from, certain traumas and stuff. Um, she also talked about how dimming, she, she felt she need, she had to dim her light to make other people feel comfortable. So ultimately, you know, what I took from the documentary was that that documentary was basically about self-love, self-worth, and self-value. And that's why it was, um, I connected to the documentary so much and, you know, it resonated for me so well because it res it resonated with me so well because of I mean that's pretty much what I've gone through my whole life and I don't I'm not trying to make this about me. I mean I as much as I'm vulnerable, I do not feel comfortable being <laughs> vulnerable. Um uh but honestly like I just like damn like to hear that you know she was going through the same things mentally that I was going through. And just, you know, just because I'm I've all over the past couple of years, I've always been the one that's doing all the talking and being vulnerable and stuff. And people coming to me based off of my blog and stuff like that and things that I share on the podcast and telling me they can relate and stuff like that. That shit can be overwhelming at times. It really can. But, yeah, I remember the nights where, you know, um, Nights, shit, days, period, where, I mean, I still go through it. I still have my moments where, you know, I feel, I don't feel alone, but I be feeling lonely. Like, I can be in a room with people and I still be feeling lonely and stuff like that. I mean, uh, I can understand about the not trusting people and keeping your circle small and stuff like that. 
I I know about the substance abuse with having social anxiety and feeling I gotta loosen myself up by having a drink or two before I go somewhere or while I'm there and stuff like that just to make me feel more comfortable. I mean, damn. Like a lot of a lot of this stuff that you know I'm still trying to work through things that I still talk about while I was in therapy, and I know that when I choose a new therapist i'm gonna be talking about this stuff over and over again you know just feeling alone just like i mean feeling lonely feeling like um i gotta dim my light in order to make others comfortable because if i if i act or be myself that you know somebody got something to say or they feel like i'm being arrogant or 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 whatever they they fucking think like people project their their shit onto me all the time. Um, I don't want to. That's why I hate talking about this stuff because I don't want to come off like I'm I'm being a victim or whatever because I can't stand people feeling sorry for me. But the shit is real. The shit is real. Feeling I got it's crazy because I was sitting there. I watched the documentary twice. So the second time I watched it, I'm saying thinking like, damn, yeah, I just be by myself a lot <laughs> i be by myself a lot like i got my i got the tasting room all hooked up and stuff nobody don't be trying to come hang with me i remember the days when nobody don't hit me up people still don't hit me up like or if they hit me up it's because they need something or whatever i always feel like i gotta be on guard with people because i don't feel like people genuinely want to be around me or get to know me and stuff like that because either they getting mad if i'm being myself or or they, or they uh, only using me for something else or whatever, you know. So it's like I always live, I always got this loner life going on. And I talked about even on the last episode about having emotional, my parents not being emotionally present for me, and how that still identifies to me to this day um, with certain uh, relationships and just period in my in my life or whatever, you know. Uh, the second time I was watching the documentary, I was sitting there thinking like, damn, and just listening to her speaking stuff about her childhood and stuff. I'm, I'm sitting there thinking like, damn, ever since I, I was little, I've been doing the same thing, searching for somebody to love me, crave, you know, I've been craving that, that for somebody to actually genuinely love me because it seems like every the love I do get or the love that I feel I get is always conditional. You know, when if I'm not producing something that they need or want or doing something or or being something that they that a person don't want, then it's a problem. You know, it's just never a thing of just, you know, that's still my man or that's still Dirk or whatever, you know. And that's just like the continuous cycle that I've gone through. I'm searching for that love or craving for that love or whatever but moving on because i'm starting to get uncomfortable but um yeah even just watching the documentary like the first time i watched the documentary man oh it was like i almost cried a couple of times i i ain't gonna lie a couple of uh tears uh came down you know rolled down my face you know i had some uh um some episodes but yeah that I felt like that documentary was a deep ass documentary because it talked about shit that uh other celebrities won't even go. They won't even go that go there. And I always felt like the great the great uh musicians, artists, 
were the most vulnerable ones. You got Murray, you got Tupac, you got Marvin Gaye, uh, Bob Marley. I mean, there's certain artists out there that are just on another level, and they seem to be the ones that have been vulnerable. They will la- they will stand the test of time because of their vulnerability and being able to connect with the quote-unquote average person. So yeah, if you haven't seen the documentary, check it out. It was definitely it's definitely a good a good watch. Um Yeah, let me jump on to this last thing about under the movie and TV reviews. And this is actually the the TV review right here. I didn't I forgot about this. But this one um last Sunday I was watching The Shy. And uh if you're watching The Shy you'll know what I'm talking about. And this is the the Emmett and Tiff um, s- situation, their marriage, and what's going on with their marriage, their open marriage that they, they have now. And uh, check out Separate the Two Podcasts because they, they had a good conversation uh, about that. Um, but when I was uh, watching the episode, um, just back backtrack, uh, the shy this season has been uh, pretty good so far. I've been more focused on the um the story of um I forgot her name on the show, but the one that had the baby that got raped by the uh the guy and she had the baby. I've been more intrigued by that story and the Emmett and Tiff story. But they have, you know, other since they got so many characters on the show, they got other stories um, involved in that. But those are the stories that I've been focused on the most. So, so far, the this season has been good. I know there's uh, two more episodes left, one tomorrow and then the one next week. So this season of The Shot actually has been pretty good. I like this season better than last season. But, uh, yeah, Eminent Tiff. And then with their open merge. And it had me, and, and when I was watching the episode, I was just thinking the whole time. I was like, damn, I just talked about this shit on one of my episodes. So I'm going to play a clip from uh, uh, one of my past episodes, Treat Yourself Before You Cheat Yourself. And this topic was, uh, it's worse when a girl cheats. And I'm going to play that clip, and then we're going to have a little conversation after that so let me pull this up okay um i think girls cheat more and i think it's worse when a girl cheats because okay when a guy cheats he's just having sex that's all it is okay you know guys are horny 24 7 they are made to mate so when he cheats it's literally one thing leads to another they smash boom he never talks to her again done and over with right not for a girl. Girls are not horny 24-7. So when a girl cheats, most of the time, she's going to talk to a guy for a few weeks, okay? She's going to link up with him a few times, and then she's going to cheat. Is she going to cut him off? No. Why? Because girls get attached after sex. So she can't just cut him off. So not only is she smashing a dude, but she gave her time, her effort, her attention, all to another dude while she had a boyfriend. Is a guy going to do that? No, because he doesn't care about getting to know the girl. He didn't care to invest in her on an emotional level. Girls invest in another male on an emotional level, which is 10 times worse. It's first degree. It's planned out and it's fucked up. 
Yes. It is fucked up. <laughs> it is fucked up. Because... Hey, y'all, what's up? All right, that's the next clip, but I'll get back to that. All right, so, yeah, it's definitely worse. I mean, like like with the the fluid out sit- debate, this will be a debate uh, forever. Like, what's worse, a man cheating or a woman cheating? And it, and it will always be a woman cheating worse. Because just like... This woman stated in the video. Women are calculated with their cheating. Women will be cheating on their man mentally way before they do it physically. Women will sit around and have their thoughts of being with the other guy. Way before they even start initiating even a conversation with the guy. So once they move on from that mental aspect of daydreaming, fantasizing, they go on to the conversation. Once they do the little conversation, the subtle flirting and stuff like that. Then it moves along to the hanging out portion, spending some little time together, some quality time together. So in the midst of that quality time, they're going to go back to the mental. More things are going to come up, more daydreams, more fantasizing. So then the conversation intensifies. The flirting intensifies. So then the quality time intensifies. Moving along to the physical. So in all that time that they had the mental, the conversation, the quality time, going back to the mental, intensifying. The conversation intensifying. The quality time intensifying. It's just going to make the physical act of having sex intensified. It's much worse. It's more, women are more invested when they cheat as opposed to men. Men just want to get a nut, honestly. We can sit here and go back and forth about cheating. We all know cheating is wrong, right? If you're in a committed relationship, in an exclusively committed relationship, we know it's wrong. But it's much worse when a woman does it because it's more invested in it. It's more calculated. It's more seasoned. It's more nurtured. No matter how much we look at this, when guys cheat, they still are more loyal to the woman that they're in a relationship with because they don't care about the other woman. They just want to Get a nut. 
They just, quote unquote, following their nature. But women are more calculated with it. And it's not about calculated as opposed to, it's not more calculated in in reference to them keeping it a secret. They're more calculated with the investment of it. So by the time they go through those cycles of the mental, the conversation, the quality time, and it rolls back around and gets intensified, and that physical act gets started, they are already invested. They already have an attachment emotionally as well as physically. So then it's like they're in a whole new relationship. Guys ain't even thinking about none of that stuff. Even though they cheated, they are still focused on the relationship they have with their significant other. They're not trying to have no relationship with the other woman. But the woman is having a whole nother relationship. <laughs> yeah, that was from uh, Treat Yourself or Cheat Yourself. And that's uh, that's pretty much what's going on. Emmy and Tiff having this open marriage, right? This was the this was a uh, Tiff's idea. This was Tiff's idea. It was her idea after Emmett felt so damn guilty that he felt the need to tell Tiff that he had that he slept with Lala before they got engaged and got married. Excuse me, sorry. So she found out. She was mad, hurt, whatever, embarrassed, all that. So she suggested the open marriage. Emmett didn't want to do it. He wasn't with it at first. But he tried to go along with it because, like I said, he felt guilty and stuff like that. So he wanted to to appease her in this situation. So Emmett, he slept with a couple of random Random uh, women. One thing about that, he was still focused on Tiff, even though he he slept around in the open marriage. But Tiff, she was over here having a she over here having a whole nother relationship with this dude that she was supplying weed to. Now, y'all heard the the previous clip from "Treat Yourself or Cheat Yourself." She uh once this open marriage started, she already knew who she was going to. She already knew because she was contemplating it even before she found out Emmett slept with Lala. She entertained it. So that was already in her mind. She already entertained it. She already knew who she was going to. She entertained it. She had conversations about it. The anytime she would go over there to to drop the weed off and stuff. He was flirting with her, trying to egg it on for for him to get, you know, uh, Tiff. So why they in the open marriage? Who she messing with? She's she's exclusively messing with this dude. Like I said, Emmett, 
he slept with a couple of random women. But Tiff was sitting here messing with dudes. She was in, she's in a whole nother relationship with this dude. They, like on the last episode, they was out on a date. She was out on a date with the other dude. And Emmett had called her. And he was like, come home now. And she said no. <laughs> she spent the night with the mama, came home the next morning. So this, the last episode was the Love Jones episode where they basically recreated the episode um, and had certain parts off of Love Jones played into the Emmett and Tiff situation as well as the girl who, who was pregnant and this new dude that she worked with that, that likes her. So he trying to go above and beyond to prove himself, Emmett is, to to prove his love and stuff for Tiff. She come home the next morning. After he told her to come home and she said no, he hung up on her because he was mad. Knew that she was with the other dude because he was on the other end of the phone egging the situation on and stuff, talking shit. And Tiff was allowing him to talk shit. <laughs> didn't squash it or nothing. And didn't say, nah, you being messy. So I'm going to just leave and go home to Emmett. No, she stayed with the mama after he was being messy and stuff. So, like I said, the shit is worse when women cheating. I don't care if they're in an open marriage. She was cheating even before this shit became a, a, a thing. Before the open marriage was established. She was already... T- cheating because she was playing this shit in her mind already and then she was sitting there doing the open marriage portion contemplating whether she should be with the other dude over Emmett so then Emmett take her on this little Love Jones date he recreated this little uh, a part in the Love Jones or whatever was standing over on the bridge Reproposed to her, said that he don't want to do this open marriage thing no more. He just wanted to be about her, about him and her. And she rejected it. She rejected him and said no. And and I understand. You know what I'm saying? She's she was afraid. That's the whole reason this open marriage came about because she was afraid. She felt as though that was the only way that she can guard her heart by having an open relationship not leaving not leaving but to have a whole another relationship with another guy as well as him that's how she felt that she could be safe but we always hear about women want to be safe but she want to be safe in in this way in this dirty way because that's how i look at i look at that shit as dirty <laughs> like just don't be with him like it if you feeling this way don't be with him. And I understand it's, it's easy to say, you know, just don't be with somebody to leave or whatever. We've all been there. It's just not easy to walk away. And what's funny about it is because Murray talked about that in her documentary when she was messing with KC or whatever. Like, she, she said that, you know, it's always easy for people to say walk away and stuff. But when you in a certain mindset or when you used to something or if a cycle is always going through in your life, that it's not just so easy to, to leave. So I understand that. But this just shows right here that it's more calculated when women cheat. It's more severe because it's in an emotional attachment. It's an emotional relationship. Emmett was like, 
nah, I can't do this no more. <laughs> I can't do this open marriage no more because I don't want it. But this just goes to show that a lot of times when women, they being overly controlling, possessive, not trusting and stuff like that, it's because of fear. I even talk, I forgot which episode. It was one of my recent previous episodes where I talked about there are only two emotions, fear and love. And under those two emotions, there's an umbrella of things that are represented under love and represented under fear. And we make a lot of choices based off of our fears, particularly women, because they are more emotionally attached to things than men are. And like I stated on last episode, there's a di- a lot of people, a lot of women may be emotional, but that don't mean that they have emotional e- intelligence. Because emotional intelligence in- involves just more than just knowing what you're feeling. It actually involves discipline on how to control those, e- those emotions as well. And Tiff can't control her emotions because it's so bad to the point where she, she's in a whole other relationship with a guy because she's afraid. And I understand that Emmett did all that he did and stuff like that. So I understand. I understand. Trust me, I understand. But when is when is an end going to be an end? Somebody has to make a decision on whether they're going to continue being attached to their fear or if they're just going to take that risk and, and be in love. So it seems now that in these next two episodes, we're going to see how Emmett and Tiff's relationship turns out. I mean, I honestly look at it like they're going to break up. I do. Because despite Emmett having the past that he had, I've, I've stated this, men are more intentional when it comes to marriage and who they want to be with. They're more intentional. We're more intentional about it because we don't have the emotional attachments. Because we don't want to deal with the rejection. We don't want to deal with the abandonment. Men are more guarded over our emotions because we don't understand the emotions. And when we actually understand them and feel them, then we're definitely going to be guarded over them. So if a man leaps to the point where he wants to be in a relationship with a woman, scratch just marriage because marriage don't mean nothing. When a guy wants to be in a relationship with a woman, he's in a relationship with that woman. It ain't no no ulterior motives or anything like that. Because a guy go all day trying to put in the effort to hit, and that's what he'll do. But we'll see. I mean, I'm introducing stuff, you know. Y'all have that conversation on your own. But we about to move on to the Blackity Black Woke segment. I'm about to run, take a bathroom break, and I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. Uh, Let's jump into this Blackity Black Woke segment. Um, Yeah. California gives female inmates condoms, plan B, after state forces them to stay with transgenders. Let me read that again. California gives female inmates condoms, plan B, after state 
forces them to stay with transgenders. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, let me read a little bit from the article. The state of California is reportedly off offering cons contraceptives, including Plan B, to female inmates forced to stay with men identifying as transgender. As the Daily Wire reported last September, inmates in California are now housed according to their self-proclaimed gender identity. SB 132, signed by Governor Gavin Newsom, states that prison officers must privately ask inmates in the intake process if they identify as transgender, non-binary, or intersex. Inmates can then request a move to the facility that houses other inmates in line with their preferred identity. Uh, the Women's Liberation Front, a left-wing feminist organization that opposes gender identity legislation due to its negative effects upon women and children, revealed that corrections facilities are now offering contraceptives as a result of the policy. Women incarcerated in California's largest women's prison are describing the con conditions as a nightmare's worst nightmare after the introduction of new pregnancy resources in the Central California Women's Facility, medical clinics. The new resources are a tactic admission by officials that women should expect to be raped when housed in prison with men, where all sex is considered non-consensual by default within the system. New posters recently appeared in medical rooms outlining the options available to pregnant people in prison, including prenatal care, abortion, and adoption. The poster also describes that women have the right to contraceptive counseling and your choice of birth control methods by a licensed health care provider within 60 to 180 days prior to scheduled release date. However, the only methods available to incarcerated women to prevent pregnancy are condoms, which appeared shortly after the men and Plan B emergency contraceptives. Though it mainly seeks to prevent ovulation, Plan B can prevent the implantation of a fertilized egg to the uterus, thereby ending a pre-born baby's life. Before the prison bill passed in September, pregnancies among incarcerated women were vanishingly rare in California women's prisons, according to the Women's Liberation Front. Inmates who enter prison while pregnant are usually held in separate facilities until they give birth. I mean, the article just goes on and on. The article is titled, California Gives Female Inmates Condoms, Plan B After State Forces Them to Stay with Transgenders. That's the title of the article, and it's uh, in the Daily Wire. And that's, I ain't got it. I just don't understand. Man, the world we live in. That's all I can say. That's all I can say, man. The world we live in. What is this world that we live in today? <laughs> what is it? Oh, man. Uh, moving on, uh, mega church leader Joel Osteen facing backlash after purchase, purchasing a $325,000 Ferrari. <sighs> I talked about, uh, and it said, also it says, uh, and for having $4.4 million in PPP loans. And if you know anything about the PPP loans, it's supposed to be for small businesses, uh, but I don't see his church as being the small businesses, the type of money that they be bringing in and how huge is in. I mean, he's liter his church is literally in a football, a, a, a former football stadium with, a, uh, I believe, the Houston Oilers used to play. I believe that's it. 
It's either a football stadium. I think it's the football stadium. It's either the football stadium or the old arena that the Spurs used to be in. But I'm pretty sure it's the old football stadium. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've talked about Joe Osteen on the show before, particularly when Houston had all that stuff going on with the weather, the flooding and stuff like that, and he didn't want to open his church to people. And, man, I don't know, man. <laughs> You got some people saying, well, shoot, he earned it. He's a man of God, so he earned it, so he should have it and stuff. But then you got other people saying, well, you know, I'm sure he got poor people in his church. Why ain't he giving that sum of the money to the poor? And then you got this argument. You always going to have a different size to the argument. So it's like nobody's ever going to gonna fully see, see it the same way because everybody going to have their own opinions. But, yeah, that's, that's wild. Moving along, Florida man who entered U.S. Capitol on January 6th gets eight months in prison. Paul Hodgkins was never accused of assaulting anyone or damaging property. Um, first, another article referencing this. First felony defendant sentenced in Capitol riot receives eight months in prison. Prosecutors had sought an 18-month sentence. Paul Allard Hodgkins, 38, pleaded guilty in June to one felony count of entering the Capitol to obstruct Congress. Prosecutors had urged the federal judge to impose a longer prison term, citing a need to deter domestic terrorism. Hodgkins had asked for a sentence of probation. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not too much to say. I ain't surprised. White man, he got the complexion for the protection. So, I mean, it is what it is. But check out my man Scott, uh, Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. He spoke on this further. So check out his podcast, and you'll get more information on that. Moving along, Ed Buck. If you don't know who Ed Buck is, he is a – Ed Buck is a uh, – let me – I want to get this, get this information correct. So let me actually read it instead of saying it how I want to say it. So, um, where is that? Uh, okay, Ed Buck. Ed Buck. Ed Buck is an American businessman, political activist, and Democratic political fundraiser. A gay former model and actor, he made a significant amount of money running and selling a data service company, uh, Gopher Courier. So, Let's go to Ed Buck. It says, horrifying details in trial of Democratic donor. Ed Buck revealed that he called gay black men the N-word while drugging them and would jack their penis off after they were unconscious. And if you don't know who Ed Buck is, he was in the news a couple of years ago, particularly for uh, some black, black homosexual men dying in I'm not sure if it was his home, but they were in his presence. They were in his company. And it's been, uh, that's been kind of a thing where black men have had these horrifying stories or these deaths when being in the company of Ed Buck. Yes, so let me read from an article, a couple of things from an article. It says, um, let me see, Buck, uh, let me just read one account. It says, Carlos was living in a tent beneath a, 
the 105 freeway overpass when a friend told him that a man named Ed Buck would pay him to smoke crystal meth and prance around in his underwear. The $200 offer was more than Carlos could refuse. He was struggling to survive in the Devil's Dip encampment. Quote, it meant that I would have a place to shower and lay my head and have some food in my mouth for sure, end quote. He testified at Buck's federal trial. Buck dispatched an Uber to pick Carlos and bring him over. With that, Carlos became one of the dozens of young black men to walk through what prosecutors called, quote, the gates of hell, end quote, the door to Buck's West Hollywood apartment. In a ritual that twice turned lethal, Buck, who is white, tested how high he could get the men he hired to, quote, party and play, end quote. Carlos and other witnesses testified. He usually paid them a few hundred dollars, less if they refused to let him inject meth into their arms, the men told the jury. After hours of partying, they would stagger out the door in what one neighbor watching the daily foot traffic described as a, quote, drunken stupor, end quote. The sordid details of what took place in the apartment are laid bare in hundreds of videos and photos Buck took of the men smoking or injecting meth naked or in the white underwear that he had them try on for his pleasure. We hear all this stuff about Bill Cosby and R. Kelly and stuff, but we don't hear nothing. We ain't been hearing nothing about Harvey Weinstein for real or this guy, Ed Buck, who is a Democratic supporter, Democratic fundraiser. Yeah, moving along. Maria Taylor. Maria Taylor, the ESPN host who I talked about on the previous show, had the, uh, well, she didn't have an issue with um, Rachel, whatever her name is. I forgot her name. But um, Rachel Nichols, that's her name. Yeah. Fuck her. Um, She made those comments on a private, a secret recording, private recording, whatever, about Maria Taylor only getting the ho- the NBA Finals hosting gig because of ESPN's past, this past with their discrimination and also because she was black. So Maria Taylor left ESPN. She was in contract negotiations with ESPN, but she wound up leaving. She, as well as ESPN, put out a statement. It says, excuse me. ESPN host Maria Taylor has announced she is leaving the sports network just weeks after remarks by a colleague suggesting that Taylor was promoted because she is black became public. Just then, Maria Taylor joins NBC Sports after split with ESPN. She left ESPN after failing to reach a contract deal. Yes, Maria Taylor is now with NBC Sports. She is hosting the Olympics as well as she will be hosting uh, the show. um, I forgot the name of the show, but it's the Sunday night football show that comes on NBC. She will be hosting that that show. Uh, I forgot the name of the damn show. And she also will be hosting the uh, Super Bowl. So shout out to Maria Taylor. Yeah. Um, the Texas Texas Senate has passed a bill to eliminate a requirement that public schools teach that the KKK is morally wrong. That same bill dropped studying Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech as a curriculum requirement. Yeah. 
not surprised. Then I just talk about Texas and I say it. I don't understand how black people live in Texas. It's just some places in this country that just black people aren't just totally aren't welcoming. <laughs> and I believe Texas is one of them. Um, yeah. So that's what happened. That Texas Senate has passed that. So it's it's just more and more of where we have the white agenda erasing or changing the history of America. We don't know what, as black people, we don't know what to believe when it's coming from them. But we, we keep believing it. We keep believing whatever comes from the white agenda, the white supremacist movement, the white government. We keep believing it. You know, just like I talk about it all the time, the slave, the transatlantic slave trade and how all black people just came from Africa. You know, nobody was over here before then. Even though we've had plenty of people in our family tell us over the years that we are American Indian. We are indigenous to this land. But moving along. <laughs> Cannabis takes the world stage at the Tokyo Olympics. Quote, for the first time in Olympics, 125-year modern history, elite athletes are being open about their use of cannabis products to prepare them for the world's biggest stage in sports. Leading the charge is Olympic gold medalist and U.S. soccer women's national team star Megan uh, Rapinoe, who incorporates CBD into her training routine using products from Mindy, a company founded by her sister Rachel Rapinoe, and Brett Schwager. That's the headline. Let me move on to the article. I'll just read a piece of the article. Once again, the title of this article is Cannabis Takes the World Stage at the Tokyo Olympics. And it was in the Forbes magazine. Mindy's founder started the company to create a brand of hemp-derived cannabinoid, CBD, products that provide athletes with natural wellness solutions to help them recover better and perform at their best. Remember that. Remember that line. Recover better and perform at their best. And while Mindy has assembled a team of top athletes as brand ambassadors, the company hopes to tap into a market of consumers looking for a more natural approach, approach to health and wellness. Quote, we really believe there is a movement and a flood of people wanting healthier alternative medications. They don't want what we typically have been prescribed in this country, whether it's over-the-counter meds, prescription opiates, sleeping pills, or various tools to help with stress and anxiety, Rachel Rapinoy says in a Zoom interview. Quote, so we want to give people the healthiest option to stay on top of their game longer, specifically positioned with athletes. Let me read that again because it's very important. Quote, so we want to keep people the healthiest. We want to give people the healthiest option to stay on top of their game longer, specifically positioned with athletes. Let me go back to another part of this article that I stated. <sighs> Let me see. Uh. Where is it? Um, who incorporates 
Megan Rapinoe, who incorporates CBD into her training routine using products from Mindy, a company founded by her. Okay. So we had this conversation about Shakari Richardson, about her being removed from the Olympics because of her smoking weed. So we all know that hemp CBD comes from cannabis. Shakari Richardson was smoking weed, which is, is the THC part of the cannabis plant. But here in this article, and, and just overall in general, they're celebrating the fact that these Olympic athletes, which are white women, are using CBD in their training regimens. We all know CBD and THC is, is different from what they tell us, even though it comes from the same plant. I've taken CBD before. I've taken THC before. Okay? Yes, they do have totally different effects. But they do have, they both do have an effect. And if you're using CBD for training purposes, isn't, shouldn't that be considered an enhancement drug if you're using it, if you're using it for training purposes? You heard what I repeated in the article about how it helps her recover fat. The CBD product supposed to help them recover faster as well as perform better. So isn't that enhancement language? I mean, I'm confused. But moving along. Moving along. Joe Biden recently did, uh, he had a town hall or whatever the hell it was. And he said, quote, this was his Biden's claim. This was his claim. Quote, if you're vaccinated, you're not going to be hospitalized. You're not going to be in the ICU unit and you're not going to die. End quote. This is from CNN. They deem his claim false. COVID-19 vaccines are highly effective. And they sharply reduce the likelihood of infection, serious illness, and death. However, they do not guarantee that people will not get the virus or will not be hospitalized or die. Even vaccinated people on Biden's own staff have been infected. This was from CNN. Moving along. 49 fully vaccinated New Jersey residents have died from COVID-19. This is an actual article. I looked this up, and it's an actual article where it says 49 fully vaccinated New Jersey residents have died from COVID-19. Moving along. Nancy Pelosi. One of her aides and White House officials test positive for COVID despite being vaccinated. Moving on. Thousands of vaccinated people are testing positive for COVID-19 in New York City. 
Moving along. The NFL. Yes, the NFL. The NFL has stated that teams that experience COVID-19 outbreaks among unvaccinated players will forfeit games if they cannot be rescheduled. The team will actually lose a game if they have an unvaccinated player test positive for COVID-19. But after all I just read, we still know vaccinated players can catch COVID-19. So why is it why is it a difference? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> why is there a segregation of vaccinated players and unvaccinated players? You can catch it regardless. And this is how they're trying to play people. This is how they're trying to control people, force people. There's already been two coaches who have quit their positions because they didn't want to get the vaccine. And there's been certain players who've been coming out tweeting and, and talking about how they're not getting the vaccine and they don't even, they're contemplating that they said they were contemplating whether they will retire or not. But I don't see it happening because of the money. But <laughs> yeah. So this is the game that they're playing. They're trying to pit players against each other in order to force unvaccinated players to get the vaccine. They're trying to penalize unvaccinated players and make them look bad because they don't want to get the vaccine. And even if they get COVID or not, despite the fact, despite the fact that vaccinated players can still get the fucking virus, the COVID-19 virus, make it make sense. And because they have so many players in the NFL not getting vaccinated, they're trying to pit players against each other. The unvaccinated and the vaccinated players, they're trying to, they're trying to pit these players against each other. And they're trying to force them to get it by taking away their money or their privileges. Because I spoke about this before when uh, the NFL came out with their protocols on how vaccinated and unvaccinated players can conduct themselves during the season and on and and when they're um traveling for games and stuff crazy that's the end of the blackity black woke segment <laughs> oh man kevin samuels aren't you surprised that we're hearing about him again no you're not you're not <laughs> he's still relevant despite some people's feelings. But that brings up the whole topic in itself. A petition has been created on change.org to remove Kevin Samuels from YouTube and Instagram. With the rise in violence against women, specifically African-American women, YouTuber Kevin Samuels has galvanized a community of men of all races and nationalities in the outspoken hatred of women. Removing this voice of divisive vitriol will allow women to feel safer not only in public spaces, but in online communities as well. Freedom of speech is a constitutional right for each of us. However, when that speech is loaded with thoughts and threats of violence towards women, manipulation of young women, and even fantasies of death to women, that freedom of speech becomes a prism for all people those thoughts and desires are intended to isolate. <laughs> 
Acts of violence, sexual, sexually predatory behavior, and even death has been documented as stemming from rhetoric Mr. Samuels and his community of followers has spewed in just the last 12 months alone. Women feel unsafe in the presence of men who identify with his ideology and have been berated while going about their daily lives with criticisms that have been spoken directly from Mr. Samuel's mouth. The very words that were spoken on social media platforms have permeated every facet of daily life for unsuspecting women. Now, that's all bullshit. I'm just going to say it. That's bullshit. Ain't... (laughs) Kevin Samuels ain't spewed no type of fucking violence against no women. That is just fucking lying. Like, people are lying. And it's, and it's crazy because Kevin Samuels ain't the first person to even say this. Like, he even says that most of the things that he talks about comes from Shahrazad Ali. And I've played her clips on on episodes before. You can check out the Trigger Warning episodes. It's four parts, and I've played... Stuff from Kevin Samuels and Shahrazad Ali. It ain't got nothing to do with no damn violence against no black women. That is just straight falsehood. And when it comes down to it, these people are only taking little clips of what Kevin Samuels is saying and not even listening to the hours of conversations that he's been having. Because when it comes down to it, Kevin Samuels is more hard on black men than he is on black women. Before Kevin Samuels even became uh, a viral sensation, and this is viral based off of those little one-minute clips that people only focus on, Kevin Samuels for years was specifically focusing on black men and how black men can better themselves and be more of a masculine man. Like, he still talks about it to this day. He still goes on. He goes on everybody just the same way. And it has nothing involving violence. The problem is, particularly, it's, it's weird because I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You've seen, like, in the past year and a half, you've seen uh, the, the masculinity energy present itself more in, main, in the mainstream arena. You've seen more men speaking up about being masculine and having a voice and and not living in fear of being canceled or in fear of stepping up to this narrative of feminism that's being spewed out there. It's just fucking lies, man. <laughs> and when it comes down to it, it's this free speech right. People just have people always have a problem with outspoken black men. Period. Any outspoken black man, if you go throughout history, people have had a problem with it. Whether it's black, whether it's black, certain black women that's part of the white feminist movement, white women who is part of the feminist movement, or just don't want to see no black man with any type of power and white men trying to put a put the black man in place because they can't control him to to push their agenda you know in the mainstream media 
the mainstream media, they will only allow a black man to have a voice when 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 he's speaking on like a destructive things, uh, when it comes to drugs, sex, violence, you know, drugs, sex, violence, and all that other stuff. They fine with that. But when a black man is promoting um self-worth, self-value, self-improvement, masking any type of masculine energy, or getting his being a, a upstanding individual, taking care of his family, anything like that, the mainstream media has a problem with it. But it is pushed through black women. It is pushed through feminism, the white feminist movement, but labeled as black feminism. I mean, this this is laid out. This 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 shit is laid out through the Willie Lynch papers. Like, go back and listen to my episode, Still Lynching. They've been using this program, this agenda, this narrative for centuries against us. And it's still working to this day. Moving along, I came across this um, this post from uh, Iman Shumpert, and he uh, reposted somebody else's post and then made a comment on it. So I'm gonna read the original post. It said, "It says the reason men don't get excited about lingerie no more, queens, is y'all be wearing it outside with Air Max on." Um. Iman Shumpert, he commented on it and said, guys are just desensitized to it. It means nothing. And I agree with that. I mean, the age we live now, just talking about feminism, black feminism, for some reason, black feminism includes women just being butt naked all over the internet, showing ass and titties all day. Ass and titties all day long. No, don't leave no imagination for for men, and just have ass and titties all out there. Ass and titties. Here's another post I came across that that relates to that. It says, "So many men have been saying that women in lingerie don't excite them anymore because they see it everywhere. Y'all can't really like women because I'ma be in awe regardless." This is a woman responding. She's saying she's going to be in all regardless. But when it comes to men, this is shit that we've seen all the time. And this and this is just her just kind of further furthering this this movement of of independence and me being in control of my own body and all this other stuff. But what does that got to do with showing ass and titties all the time? What type of respect is I, I don't get it. I don't I never got that. Like when you hear women say they taking it back taking back their power or their feminism and femininity and all that other stuff, but just showing ass and titties everywhere. Somebody commented to her post and said they are exposed to to ladies on social media all day, every day, either half dressed or not dressed at all. It's very common. It's not special anymore because they are desensitized. It's like seeing someone in a t-shirt, LOL. It's common. So why would that excite them? And that's right. I mean, that shit don't excite us no more. At least, at least not the guys who are actually in control of their of their selves. <laughs> like it's just ass and titties everywhere. That shit gets annoying. It like it it 
I'm always the guy. I've always been the guy that would be like, I enjoy. This is what I always say. I always enjoy when a woman dresses the booty. Like, I enjoy a woman in an intimate setting wearing lingerie as opposed to just being butt naked. I enjoy more out in the in public seeing a woman dressed in a nice outfit as opposed to being half naked in public. I enjoy that because that, that gives me imagination. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and not necessarily me imagine what she looks like under it. It's just me appreciating her body by and her femininity by the way that she dresses it up, dresses it up. Her style, it speaks to her personality and and all of that. But when a woman just out here just just half butt naked in the streets and stuff or on the internet all the time, that doesn't really speak to her personality. That speaks to her wanting to get fucking attention. That speaks to her trying to get somebody in her DMs or somebody to give her some some money or somebody to try to fly her out or something like that. It doesn't speak to her personality. It doesn't speak to um, her character to me. Here's another post that relates to that. Uh, this is from Young Blue. I don't know who he is. I guess he's a rapper. He says, my black men, if you want to be faithful, just stay off social media. Post and get the fuck off ASAP. Because soon as you start scrolling, boom, ass and titties. That's the devil, my brother. <laughs> and I agree with him. Like, fellas, just... just do what you got to do and get off that junk. Or just curate your who you following and your timeline so you don't see the shit. Just do it. Because it's, it's, if you're not in control of yourself, it will tempt you. It will take you places and it will get you in situations that will keep you from your true self, honestly. And I have this episode that I'm coming out with about um, uh, men and sex. Soon I've been working on it, but it just speaks to how just being so caught up into seeing the ass and titties and trying to be out in the streets and getting as much ass as you can or whatever is taken away from your creativity as a man and your power as a man. I mean, I was just reading it in, uh, uh, the other day. I was on my porch reading... Um, the way of the, I forgot the name of the damn book. It's upstairs, but um, yeah, they was talking about that in the book about you know uh, guys and their 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 strength and their discipline when it comes to sex and even masturbating and stuff like that. And it comes to how they uh, how women control them based off of that because they don't have control and they're how they lose their creativity because of they always trying to have sex or masturbating and stuff like that is just is a it's a deep conver it's a deeper conversation that most people can't relate to just yet because there's so much ass and titties out there that we just people just all desensitized to this shit. But um, let me read some comments. It says. For those saying just have self-discipline, part of self-discipline is creating an environment that will allow you to have the best chance of reaching your desired outcome. If staying off social media helps you control your urges, do it. Um, 
Here's another comment. There's more on social media than ass and titties. If you don't have self-control, then just say that and get help on setting boundaries. Social media is connection. Scroll past and follow tempting sites and threads. Log off on the late night. And I agree with that. I agree with all that. But stop saying guys don't have self-control when when that's because it's deeper than that. When women out here just displaying ass and titties and stuff like that, that's the energy around that. And people like to talk about energy. Excuse me. I know energy, the quote-unquote word energy is mainstream now, but it's really deeper than just using it to make a little cliche uh, post or whatever to get some likes. Posting all that ass and titties and stuff and seeing it all on the TV and all that other stuff, how they sell it and market certain things based off of sexuality and stuff on the the uh, reality TV shows, products, and all that other stuff, that is energy. They're pulling from your energy, from your sacral chakra. If you don't know what the sacral chakra is, look it up. S-A-C-R-A-L chakra, sacral chakra. Look it up. They're pulling from your sexual energy, and your sexual energy, which is part of your sacral chakra, it's tied to your creativity. That's your creativity sector. And you think about, fellas, just think about it. And I'll discuss this more in that, that sex episode. When you masturbate and all that other stuff, or and when you have sex and you, you come, your energy is depleted. So if you're spending a lot of your time being focused on all that ass and titties or whatever, you waste... I don't like using the term wasting time and I don't believe in it because when it comes down to it, you're making the choice and that's just what it is. But when you look at it, you're using a lot of your energy being focused on chasing ass, looking at ass and titties, masturbating or trying to fuck. (laughs) That's just what it is. I mean, it is what it is. (laughs) Let me end this show, man. I had a great time on this show. I know it started off a little, uh, a little, maybe a little off, a little sad, a little melancholy, callingly. I don't know, but it picked up. So I'm gonna end this episode with a, um, another Murray song, and uh, man, at the point I'm at in my life, I just want peace of mind man i just i look at i want to be happy i want to have peace of mind and i just want some some uh some true love family friends relationship all that you know what i'm saying so i'm in this episode you can find me on spotify google play apple podcast stitcher uh amazon make sure you follow a taste to consider podcast uh make sure you check out a taste to consider llc on uh instagram at taste to consider.com greatest i am block dot com um make sure you uh download listen and delete um i i want to say like and share but people just don't want to listen to me so i want to say <laughs> never mind <laughs> let me play the song and i'll be out here i appreciate y'all and if nobody has told you i love you today i'm not going to tell you i love you I know I've done it in the past, but when I I think the most important thing to do is 
Get up, go look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself and do something for yourself this upcoming week. Do something for yourself, whether it's buy yourself something that you've been wanting, take yourself somewhere that you've been wanting to go, do some activity, something. Show yourself some love because it just seems like love out here is just conditional. I'm sorry. I'm just, I don't know. I'm just a little jaded. It's the full moon. I'll blame it on the full moon. Let's go. Taste to Consider Podcast. I appreciate you. Taste to Consider Podcast. Let's go. Taste taking us to the podcast. Uh. Murray just got that vibe to her, man. Sticking to the podcast. I hope you're happy with this episode. Let's go. Say stick and sit a podcast. If I give you one more try to these rules, you will fight. And if I mean anything to you, would it make everything? Let's go. Say stick and sit a podcast. You and you network. Second to the podcast. Once again, I'm on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon. Say second to the podcast. You and you network. U A N D U underscore network. Follow us on Instagram. All the podcasts. Let's go. I'm out of here.